The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. So we're in Zechariah chapter Zechariah chapter 4, okay? Now, so we got a lot to do, and we're going to get down in there, and what, uh, what, what is exciting to me is the Lord in his sovereignty knew when we were going to have this meeting and when we were going to land on uh, Zechariah chapter 4. I certainly had no idea because, you know, we do different services throughout the uh, Christmas time, and, and you know, it's, so it's been really fascinating for me to see how um, applicable today's message is for us as a body of believers, um, and individually how it helps us to walk with the Lord. And so when we think in terms of Zechariah, and we're looking at these minor prophets and talking about major in the minors, and so the minor prophets are a group of guys who um, basically, um, are the first nine of the prophets, they talk about what's happening before the Israelites are carried off into exile because of their disobedience to God. They weren't listening to God. There were consequences for it. So they lost um, their, their homeland. They were taken away by the Babylons, and they were used as, as slaves uh, back in Babylon. And so the first nine are, of the prophets are writing as a warning that God's judgment is coming. Repent. God's judgment is coming. And ultimately, the judgment of God fell on the nation of Israel because of their disobedience. They were carried away into exile. And so we come to the last three prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Or Malachi. And, and what happens with these three is that God, after a 70-year period, had promised that a remnant of the Jews would come back to their homeland. And so about 47,000 people left Babylon under the powerful hand of God, not because some army invaded and set them free. It was because of a decree of a, of a Babylonian king that they were allowed to go back to their homeland. And they just said, who wants to go back and rebuild um, the nation uh, of Israel, this, the, that area? And it was a city of ruins. And so God called a few of them to lead, and specifically about 47,000, 47 to 50,000 of them made the journey back to rebuild a city that was left in ruins. It was entirely um, uh, just, just destroyed, if you will. And so Zechariah and Haggai were two of the prophets. And Haggai had a, a, a sort of a, a shorter ministry and prophecy than Zechariah. They Zechariah came on the scene just a little bit after um, Haggai, and his ministry continues on for a lot longer. And, and so his job, the prophet's job, was always to bring the word of the Lord, okay? Now, so that's what I try to do on a Sunday morning, is I don't try to bring some kind of self-help. I try to bring the word of the Lord. And I function in the role of a prophet, but I'm not a prophet like these guys, because these guys were bringing a new revelation from the Lord. And so they were foretelling what was coming in the future. And, and so they had supernatural abilities to hear visions from God that God was communicating to his people. And he would often give them supernatural abilities. And the test of a prophet was always what he said. Did it actually come to pass when you applied it to your life? Did it come with power? Uh, and, and could it be trusted? And so if it did, then it was preserved, and for thousands of years, we have what we know as the Bible, as these different people who were used as prophets to record the Word of God as God's communicating to humanity. And so what I do as a preacher uh, of the gospel, and we're all preachers of the gospel, it's, the difference is, is I just do it full-time and, and have the, uh, you know, the incredibly humbling task of 
leading a, a flock of people and, and, being, and being paid for it, but you're still a preacher of the gospel. And I tried to establish that for you last, year, last week as we looked at the, the priesthood of the believer. And so um, what we do is we proclaim what has already been revealed. And we dig into the word, and that's what I was talking about. We eat the word, and we learn from it, and we proclaim it to the world. And so that's the role of the prophet. Now, Joshua, we learned about last week, was one of the leaders that was a part of the remnant, and he was the high priest. <clears throat> and we learned about worthiness, okay? And we learned about, are we worthy? Because Joshua was feeling extremely unworthy because the priesthood had been dissolved. Like you're not going to have a priesthood when you're carried away in captivity in a foreign city. And so there was no active priesthood. So when they go back, they had to reinstate the priesthood that was given to Moses way back in the beginning of their history. And so there was a great feeling of unworthiness about whether they are, were worthy or not to be engaged in that kind of uh, activity before the Lord because a priest's job was to mediate between, the, between God and the people. And so they would offer sacrifices. They would keep the temple fires burning. And Joshua felt extremely unworthy. And we see in the vision that Zechariah received that he was before the Lord of the enemy. The devil himself accused him, said he was filthy, and God had the filthy clothes taken off of him, and he was clothed with priestly garments. And the message was, out of that vision, is that we are worthy because of the work that God has done. And so it's prideful for us to say that we are not worthy to do the work of God. It takes humility to recognize because we realize it's not in our own power that we have worth, but it is in the power of the Lord that has transformed us into new creatures that we now have worth. And so now we can enter into the priesthood of the believer and be ministers of the gospel. Well, this week we learn about provision. Okay, so provision comes with Zerubbabel. And remember, the temple that is being built is called Zerubbabel's temple. And so we have the infamous um, Solomon's temple. That's the one that was destroyed. And so now we have Zerubbabel's temple that is being rebuilt. Why is it called Zerubbabel's temple? Because he was charged as the civic leader to rebuild the temple. They didn't have a king. Remember, they're in captivity. So they did not have a king at this time. And, and so Zerubbabel is the civic leader who is identified as a governor who would lead them. And really, in essence, he's fulfilling the kingly role for Israel. He's providing direction. And so he is worried about the job that he has because it was no small feat. And it took several years for him to complete the temple. And so he was fighting within his own people. And so within the midst of the people that he was leading and the 47,000 people who went back to rebuild the nation of Israel, remember Haggai had to prophesy and say, look, you're so focused on your own houses and you spend no time on my house. And so he was fighting a spirit of lethargy among the people. He, they had started, they, lay, they built an, a, 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 an altar for the sacrifices and they laid the foundation, but they had ceased to work on it. And so he was having a difficult time motivating the people to see what God had shown him. 
And so not only were they lethargic in their spiritual ministry to the Lord, which is what their main objective should have been. That should have been their singular focus. They were distracted by the things of this world, and they were working on their own houses. And so Zerubbabel's dealing with that. He's dealing with trying to see, help them see what God has shown him at, through the prophet uh, uh, Zechariah and Haggai that they are to, to be about the business of advancing the kingdom of God here on the planet. And so he's dealing with that, a lack of vision, um, small vision, if you will, and a lack of faith. And then on top of that, he has people on the outside of the nation of Israel who are making up rumors about him and sending them back to Babylon and saying, look, these people are going to try to lead an uprising. And so he was having to deal with evil opposition that exists in a systemic form among the people that were outside of the nation of Israel. And so this was, this was an evil thing he was coming against. And on, on top of even that, he had to deal with that he was a human being and living in falling, uh, fallen flesh. And so it was no small task, and he felt overwhelmed, but he needed to finish the work. And so he was extremely discouraged. And the people were discouraged. Things weren't getting, they weren't moving forward. They'd been working on this thing for years, and, and things weren't moving forward. And so that's where we pick up, and, and what we're going to do is, here's what I'm going to do. Okay, and this is a cue for you too, Sean, is that I'm going to read the passage. Then I'm going to give you a few takeaways and the big idea. But this week after the big idea, we're also going to take a look at the big picture. So when we get to the big idea, just know we're going to have a little bit further to go, okay? So prepare yourself and brace for that as it's all going to kind of, it's like, for me, it's been like, like, it's just like, wow. Like, I've never seen this before uh, until I prepared this message uh, to serve to you this week. So let's jump in there and kind of use your imagination and stick with me. Listen, man, you got to stick with me in the takeaways and you got to stick with me when I read this passage. Because when we come back to the big picture, if you will stick with me, man, just like, I hope. <laughs> we'll see. So this is what it has. So, so, so here they are in this place. And they're discouraged. And, and, and specifically, Zerubbabel has the task of leading the people, of finishing the construction of the temple. It says, then the angel of the Lord who talked with me, this is Zechariah, then the angel of the Lord who talked with me returned and wakened me as a man is wakened from his sleep. And he asked me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top and seven lights on it with seven channels to the lights. Also, there are two olive trees by it. One on the right of the bowl, and the other on its left. And I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Now we know when he's talking to this angel of the Lord I've established with, for you, that this is a Christophany. This is the Lord speaking, okay? And so this is, this is as if he is speaking to Jesus in the Old Testament before he has come in human form. And so he says, I asked the angel of the Lord who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And he answered, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. So he said to me, this is a word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, 
but by my spirit, says the Lord. What are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the earth. Then I asked the angel, and he goes back to the first part of the vision. He, asked, he said, I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? And he replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Okay, so here, here we go. There's several takeaways from this passage. They are applicable to our lives. And so what we're going to look at is what are the takeaways, what I need to know from this text, and then how does that translate into my everyday life after we hit the big idea and we'll see it all come to, to, to life. Here's the first one. The Lord must awaken us to show us what we need to see. Look at verse 1. The angel of the Lord who talked to me returned and wakened me as a man is wakened from sleep. Now, what's unusual about that? What is unusual about that is all of these visions in the first section of the uh, book of Zechariah were given in one night. Okay? It's dated, and we know that. They were all given in one night. Zechariah has already been, he's already seen um, some major visions. There was a man among the myrtle trees that we learned that was Christ in the midst of Israel. There were the four horns that were coming against Israel and the four craftsmen that were raised up to destroy the horns. We learned um, that there was the surveyor who went out to survey the city and we learned that the city would be that without limits, that it would expand over the face of the earth and that was a picture of the church. And then we learned uh, uh, the vision of the, the priestly garments where the filth was removed and he was given pure garments to reflect the glory of God and it was all a work of the kingdom. And so he had all of these visions and the, in the same night, and it left him in a place that sort of was a sleep state. Okay? It was just, it was overwhelming. And so I'm reminded of the disciples. One day Jesus was with them, and he pulls aside Peter, James, and John. And he says, come with me. And he takes them up the mountain to pray. They're going to meet with God. And it is the experience where we call the transfiguration, where Jesus' flesh, the robe of his flesh was lifted, and all of the glory of God fell upon him, and he was speaking with Moses and Elijah. And the disciples awakened to see it. All of the miraculous things that they had seen Jesus do. They had seen him do all of these incredible things, healing people, turning water into wine, they're invited to a special meeting with the Lord up the mountain, and they fall asleep and had to be awakened to see the vision. 
Later we find them after Jesus takes them on the night of his betrayal into the upper room and he institutes the, the Lord's Supper. And he says, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. And then he gives them the, 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 the fruit of the vine and he says, drink this, this is my blood which is the new covenant. And I want you to do this and as often as you do this, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember what I did for you and I want you to remember the, 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 the covenant. And they leave from that place and they go to the garden of Gethsemane to pray. And Jesus says to them, watch and pray with me. And he comes back later to find them all asleep. And, and he wakes them up and he says, watch and pray with me. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then we know that, again, he goes to pray and he is in agony. And Judas comes with the betrayers. And it is the last time they experience something with the Lord. And so they're awakened again to another vision. And here's what I take away from that. These are examples of disciples that must be awakened to greater kairos. Okay, so we're not saying awaken a person who doesn't know the Lord to see something. We're saying the Lord's people can sometimes experience a vision from the Lord from the Word, not something that doesn't jive with the Word, but just a vision would be, this is what God has called me into obedience that I need to walk out. And you begin walking it out. And your first vision may be that you give your life to Him. And, and, and then you have the enthusiasm and the excitement of following Him in baptism. And you start to serve and you start to give and you start doing all these things and time goes on. You need another vision and you have to be awakened to a vision of a greater kairos in your life. You see, yesterday's victory will not carry you through tomorrow's battle. And what happens in the kingdom is we have too many people who come into the kingdom, they experience transformation, and they're excited about that one spiritual journey. They've checked it off their list, and now they go on to build their life, which is to work on their own house, which is what the prophet was prophesying to the Israelites and say, man, you got to stay focused on the Lord's house. And we know that under the New Testament, the temple of the Holy Spirit is our own body, and so we stay focused on what the Lord is calling us into in obedience. And so we must have kairoses that are repetitive in our lives and in the church. Otherwise, we just go to sleep. That's why there are so many references in the New Testament that are trying to awaken the church, the body of Christ. And so for me, I can look back on my life, and one of the reasons I'm in the position that I am today of teaching you about the Word of God is I've learned a rhythm in my life of kairoses repeating themselves. And so over and over again, I experience different kairoses. What is a kairos? Some of you may be going, what in the world is he talking about? Well, in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says the time has come, the, the kingdom is here, okay? And so what he's referring to, there are two words used for time, and one is chronos and the other is kairos. Chronos is a measurement of time like I would have on my watch. Kairos is when a new thing is breaking in. And so he says of this kairos that it is to be breaking in right now. And what we learn is, is that kairos is, is when the kingdom begins to break out in my life. So the kingdom breaks out in my life and I'm transformed from an old sinful creature to a new creature who is clothed in the priestly garments that we learned about last week. And I have the priesthood of the believer. A kairos is when I begin talking to the Lord through prayer and I begin to recognize the Lord is answering my prayers and I have a kairos. A kairos is when the Lord says to me I'm to do something and I don't understand why he's leaning in 
into me, and I keep thinking about this as I read the scripture. It just keeps feeling like God is asking me to walk in obedience in this area, and I do it, whatever it may be, and then all of a sudden, I see a floodgate of blessing happen all around me. The kingdom is broken out in your life. A kairos for the church is when they see something, and they believe God is asking them to do it corporately together because they're all coming together and in unity. They walk in obedience, and kairos happens, and they see the Lord bless, okay? And so we see these patterns being repeated. And so kairoses um, need to happen in our lives and in the church in order for us to stay healthy. And when we awaken, we need to be awakened by this question. What was the question? What do you see? What do you see? So one of the things that we teach in discipleship when we meet together is we say, what is the Lord saying to you? And really what we mean by that is not is the Lord talking to you in an audible voice and saying to you, hey, dummy, you need to get it together. That's not what we mean. What we mean is what do you see in the word that is impacting your life and revealing some things to you about where you need to walk in obedience because that is how people around you will know that you belong to the Lord. Because you don't have to do that. You have your own free will, but you have surrendered your free will when you gave your life to Jesus on the altar of sacrifice. As a priest of God now, you are to take that life and be a living sacrifice. And so the Lord is to show you different things on a consistent basis where you step in obedience. And when you step in obedience, the kingdom breaks out into your life. The Spirit of God begins to produce in your life. You begin to manifest the things that the Apostle Paul talks about, like, love and joy and, and, and peace and patience and, and kindness and gentleness. You go from a person who had no gentleness all of a sudden to you, you find yourself saying things and you go, I can't believe I just said that. And it is because the Lord is walking inside of you and the kingdom is breaking out of you. And so we have to ask the question, what do you see? Now here's the fun part. Is Zacharias saw a vision that he didn't understand. And so what did he do? He asked more questions. He said, I don't know what this is. And I'm encouraged by that because it tells me two things. One, questions are good. When we ask the Lord questions, it is a good thing. And they're not condemned by God. The angel didn't say, well, you knucklehead. He was just said, you don't know what these are? And, and he's like, no, I don't. And then it was like, let me show you what they are. And so the willing heart begins to receive a word from the Lord. And, and, and so only uh, as we look at that, what we see is it always leads to a word from the Lord. And so now we jump to verse 6. So he says, I don't know what this is. And verse 6 says, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Here's the second takeaway. Kingdom work is not done by might or power, but by the Spirit. It's always done by the Spirit. And so what he needs to know, what God is saying, is what Zerubbabel needs to know is that what he has started, because I have asked him to start it, he will finish it. And so can you imagine Zerubbabel as he's leading the 47,000 people out of Babylon, and they're all so excited to be going back home. And they're singing the old songs of the faith, the psalms that we have in the book of Psalms. And they're singing and they're marching on to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion, that wonderful city of God. And then they get there and they see, this place is a wreck. 
But then they are like, well, the Lord is going to rebuild it. He led us through the uh, Red Sea and parted it, and he will rebuild it. And so they laid the foundation stone. And in Haggai, we learned that they laid it, and there was weeping. And there was weeping of sorrow, and there was weeping of joy, and there was so much going on in praise to God that you couldn't distinguish between the weeping of sorrow and the weeping of joy. And so that tells us that he was up when the foundation was laid. But now as time has gone on and he's experienced obstacles, obstacles within of the people he's trying to lead and obstacles without of the enemy that wants to, to stop him, and he is down now. And so what God says to him in the place of discouragement is what you are doing will not be accomplished by human means but by my spirit. He says, not by might, not by power, not by human might or human power, but my spirit alone. And this is what this teaches us, this takeaway. Only if the spirit governs every detail can our service actually bring glory to God. What's that mean? That means that the Lord has to be showing me what I need to do. Otherwise, I'm just going to do what I think needs to be done. And the Lord has to show you. And when he shows you, there will be experiences where you feel like you're never going to get it done. And that's a good place to be. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay? That's what he's saying here. And, and so what we learn and we take away from this is that there will be obstacles. That, and the obstacles that stand in our way, we will not be able to, we are not even supposed to try to figure out how to do them only by a human ingenuity and effort. We are to do it through the Spirit of the Lord. And so God begins to impress upon us the decisions that need to be made. And what we learn next in verse 7 is, what are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Here's the third takeaway. When you walk with the Lord, mountains are leveled. They just come down, all right? The Lord says, I know Zerubbabel is overwhelmed and facing obstacles, but I will put the fire of the Lord in him so he can overcome those obstacles. I'm reminded of Jesus teaching the disciples in the New Testament. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, be lifted up and cast into the sea. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Now, that doesn't mean that it will instantaneously be removed. It means that if you have faith and you're walking with the Lord, the Lord will, through the power of the Spirit, begin to lower the obstacles that stand in the way of what he's asked you to do with your life. And so when we think through this, what we learn is that Zerubbabel is told by God that he laid the capstone or the, the foundation stone and he will also lay the capstone. And when he lays the capstone, there will be a spontaneous eruption around all of the people that say, God bless it, God bless it, okay? Just, this is what this means. Just as Christ is the author and finisher of our faith, he is to be the author and finisher of our work. See, when God asked me to come to this place and lead this body, it wasn't my vision that brought me here. It's his work that I'm engaged in. 
And so there have been times that it has felt like there is a ginormous mountain that is never going to go away. There have been times that I've, been wanted, I've wanted to walk away because it has taken so long, it seems, to see the hand of the Lord begin to move in his people. There have been times where it's felt like um, uh, not only were the people lacking vision, but I myself was starting to lack vision. There have been times where it just felt like a mountain was in the way. And it's been amazing to me to watch how the Lord has started to lower the mountain. Okay, but he didn't do it instantaneously. And I think I thought in my mind that was the way it was going to happen. And now that I am here 10 years later, I thank the Lord that it didn't. Because I have learned so much by experiencing the power of the Spirit working in this place and teaching all of us where he wants to take us. And so just as Christ is the author and finisher of our faith, he is the author and finisher of our work. So whatever he asks us to do as we start it and we continue to walk with him, he will lower the obstacles in the time that he sees fit. And eventually we will come to the place where that particular work, we lay the capstone. But guess what? There will be another kairos that we are to move forward in because that's the way the kingdom works until we leave this world. And so they say, God bless it, God bless it. What that means literally is God's grace, God's grace. And what do we say when we say, when you see the Lord move in your life, you will have the same kind of response that the early disciples did when they recognized Jesus. Sometimes Jesus would appear to them at post-resurrection, um, and I'm reminded of them when they were fishing, and they, they, the guy calls and says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. Say, oh, man, we've been fishing all night. And he said, no, throw your net on the other side of the boat. Oh, okay, we'll throw the net on the other side of the boat. And they hauled in a load of fish so uh, full that they, it was starting to sink the boat. And they looked up, and one of the disciples, John said, it is the Lord, and Peter jumped out of the boat to go meet Jesus. It's the same as saying, God bless it, God bless it. And so when I see the Lord do things in my life, and I've seen him do it over the, the, the past of 30 year, years uh, uh, so many times, all I can do is step by, uh, back when I walk in this way and say, it is the Lord. Like I, have no, like I can't, I have no explanation to you other than to say I've been walking with the Lord, and it is the Lord that has showed up and has done this thing. And that's where we're supposed to be. And that's why we encourage you to walk in discipleship. Because you think you can't walk in it. And that's exactly what we want you to think. Because we know you can't walk in it. We know that as you make disciples that make disciples, you will all the time, as you trust the Lord and you stay uh, with him and you walk with him, that you will see mountains starting to come down, not only in your life, but in the lives of people around you. And you will be left saying, it is the Lord. And that's what we're supposed to be saying. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. And that brings us to the final takeaway. Verse 10 says, the very first part, it says, who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Don't despise the day of small things. Rejoice when or because the plumb line has been handed to you. That's what we learn from this verse. The plumb line is a standard of measurement. It measures vertically to make sure that the wall is straight. It measures horizontally when it's stretched out between the two vertical points that are established to make sure the wall is running straight this way. So the plumb line is uh, symbolic of Christ, who is the Logos and the word that he has given us. And so when the plumb line of Christ has been handed to us as a gift and we receive it, then what we do is we work in the day of small things to establish that standard that our lives are measuring up to the straightness vertically with God and horizontally with man. That's what God is showing us is that when we walk with this standard, we will increase with favor, not only with God, but man. 
And so this plumb line is indicative of the word and mission of the Lord. And that tells us there are no shortcuts. Because what we would like to do is say to a mountain, mountain, be gone. And what we find in the kingdom, the longer we serve him, is we begin to work with the mountain in front of us. And in time, the mountain comes down and our faith is established to cross over what used to be in front of us. Now, the work still has to be done. The foundation stone was laid. There was the promise of the capstone. And there had to be a lot of stones laid in between. And so progress seemed insignificant. And the Lord is teaching us, don't despise the day of small things because that plumb line in your hand has been handed to you to grow you into the incredible tool for the kingdom that I'm going to use as you walk out your purpose and mission in life. And that brings us to where they come and um, we see that in the midst of the daily that the mountain is leveled. And the big idea is this. The Lord sees what we need to see so that we can say what we need to say and do what we need to do. Look at the second part of verse 10. These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the earth. Those are the seven flames on the candlestick that he saw in the vision. They range, the eyes of the Lord see and they range throughout the earth. And so what we learn is that God will, he sees already what we need to see. And when we walk by faith, not by sight, he shows us what we need to see in the spiritual realm so that we can begin to speak about what that obedience is in our lives. And then we start to do that obedience and all of a sudden the kingdom comes to the planet instead of staying up in heaven. Now, that's the big idea. Here's the big picture. Hold on. In the Jewish temple, there was a temple menorah. You could go back to the book of Exodus and you can read about this menorah. It's the same Jewish menorah that Jewish people use today. It's a seven-fluted candle, all right? And so it comes out, and it's like a U, right? You know what I'm talking about? Everybody track it with me? You know what a menorah is? It's got seven lights on it. And so, so whenever... Zechariah has this vision because here's the, here was the duty. As God told Moses when he gave him the instructions for the tabernacle and, and, and later the temple, he said it is to have this menorah in it. And he says that in this menorah uh, that the priests were to keep it burning. And so the priest's duty were to go in and fill that menorah constantly on a daily basis. They would fill it up with oil. And so when the Lord shows him this vision. He, that's why he asked the question, you don't understand this? And Zach is like, no, I don't understand it. And the reason the Lord kind of presses into him that way is because it was an object of worship that dated all the way back to the time of Moses. But the problem was is the vision that Zachariah saw was different than that seven-fluted candle. In this particular vision, there was a lampstand and it was similar to that one. But over and above it, there was a bowl. And out of the bowl came two golden pipes. 
And they came down to the lampstand and they filled the seven channels that made the seven lights light up. Then there were two branches that came over and they had golden pipes coming next to them. And there was a tree on the right and a tree on the left. And the tree on the right and the tree on the left had oil coming down out of these two branches that were dripping into these golden pipes that were coming down and filling this bowl with golden oil. And then out of that bowl, the golden oil would flow down into the different lights and they would burn and provide light. It was filled by connection. There was an endless supply, not of oil, but golden oil. purified oil. Like whenever the Bible uses the word gold to describe something, it's talking about it being purified and refined by the fire of the Lord. And so it was out of the overflow that the fire continued to burn. He says, what are these branches that pour out the golden oil? And he says, you don't know what these are? No, my Lord. He says, these are the two anointed to serve the Lord of the earth. The two olive branches are indicative of the office of priest and king. One of them was Joshua, the high priest. The other was Zerubbabel, the governor, who was fulfilling the civic leadership that the king should have been fulfilling. And so he's saying, in one sense, right now, in real time, these represent Joshua and Zerubbabel. My power is going to come and supernaturally help them lead the people spiritually as the high priesthood is reinstituted and uh, help them motivate the people supernaturally as I empower them with my spirit to lead them. And then I have Zechariah. You're going to tell them the message. So you're the plumb line. All three offices are brought together in Christ. Jesus, what made him so amazing is he was a prophet. They were amazed. Never have we heard a man talk like you. Never have we heard lessons like you're teaching. The Pharisees didn't know what to do with him because he was a prophet like none other that had ever hit the planet. When they crucified him, they stuck a sign above the cross that said, King of the Jews. And as a priest... He laid down his life. Nobody took it from him. He laid it down on his own. The great sacrificial lamb that would take away the sin of the world. So when he did that as prophet, priest, and king, he was God in the flesh serving in all three offices. And when he he did that, then we have what is known as the atonement, that all those who place their faith and trust in Christ, their sins have been atoned for because they believe in the prophet, the priest, and the king, who was Jesus. And through the atonement, we are adopted by the king. We are adopted, and we, Paul says we no longer, like we call him Abba, Father. He has adopted us by what? Grace. And now the power and authority of the king are given to us through the spirit. The spirit, and when oil is used in the Bible in in places like this, oil is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit flows through the pipes that are next to the branch that have been put together by the prophet and, and the, pre, or the, 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 the king and the priest coming together. Now the oil flows into the golden pipe and it is carried to the bowl. And what we have here is a picture of something bringing light to the world. 
And it's the church. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. In the New Testament, it is us. And so it's a picture of the church that is to be a city set on a hill. Christ, the word Christ means anointed one. The word Christian refers to one who belongs to the anointed one and follows in his ways. They called them little Christ in the beginning of the early church. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, the apostle John says, As for you, the anointing you received from him remains on you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, Remain in him. There's that word that keeps showing up in the scripture for us. The word mino. It's the same word that we find in John chapter 15. He says remain in him. You see what this passage is teaching us is is a prophetic utterance of not only what God would do right then and there in the nation of Israel, but what God was going to do when he came as prophet, priest, and king. And that as we remained in him, he was going to transform us into the same kind of thing as himself. And that is why we are called the body of Christ, who serve as the conduits individually that bring oil to the earth. And as we join together in a bowl, man, all bringing the golden pure oil, we light up the world. And so when you look at the world and you say, oh, our forefathers, our forefathers built this country on Christian um, principles, one must ask what was happening in the church that led them to those principles. They were connected. And all of the culture was shaped by what was happening, by the oil flowing into the bowl and providing light to the world. Jesus said it this way. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. In Matthew, this is Matthew 5, he says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You notice what he doesn't say? Don't let your good deeds shine before others. Let your light shine before others. How do you let your light shine? See, when you let your light shine, then what happens is your good deeds will just be exposed and people will see them because you're focusing on the light, not the deed. And we got too many people in the kingdom that are focusing on the deeds and not enough people who are focusing on the light and letting it shine. That's what we're building Like we're building a church, man. We're part of the body of Christ. And as we look at this, one of the fascinating things that I find in the last verse of Scripture I'll share with you is out of Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is teaching um, the Gentiles about um, the remnant of Jews that will remain and they will be returned and they will be grafted in. And as he talks to them about that remnant, which we have been learning about through the minor prophets, this is what he says. If some of the branches have been broken off, And you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing, the nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, I love this part. He says, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. And so what what does this mean? It means it's as simple as what we always say. Your journey with the Lord is about remaining connected to him, constantly focusing on that word that we, 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 we call in English, abide, which is, is 
the Greek word meno, remain in him. Get in his word. Let the Holy Spirit show you things. Ask him what he wants you to see so that you can say what you want to, he wants you to say and do what you, he wants you to do. And so as we walk through life, we have to f- constantly be facing things that are outside of our human ability to accomplish so that we can experience the golden pure oil running through our lives and coming to the planet. This is one of the reasons that they, when they asked Jesus, they said, how, how are we to pray? And he said, that when you pray, pray our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, like, 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 like your will be done in heaven and earth. He's saying line up with the Lord and be a conduit that pulls the Lord and the things of the kingdom to the earth. And it's a beautiful picture of what we get to walk in. And so it's so vitally important for us to understand that as a body who's come together. And what do we mean by a body? A local body, a local fellowship. It's just a lot of different golden pipes that have been assembled in one place to be a, a, a fire for the Lord in our community. And so here's a little bit of the journey just to set up um, for our business meeting. Is that all along we knew we needed to address what the building looked like. All along we knew that it was totally irrelevant, that it was forgotten and all of these other things going on. And so as we've looked at that, it's been a very challenging experience. And, and so we've wondered, man, will it ever happen? And I remember coming in and, and, and the church having the capital that it had and said, man, will it, if I come, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take that 300 and some odd thousand dollars and we're going to spend about 200,000 of it in six months. And that was scary. But we did. And then we went along in year one and we ran a deficit and so our, 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 our money in the bank went down. And then we went year two and we ran another deficit and it went down. And I remember having to make decisions about, well, we need to do this ministry thing or we need to do that ministry thing and and signing off on POs and saying, go ahead, man, the Lord will provide. And it went down. And so it dipped down to around, I think, 160,000. And then all of a sudden, it stopped. And the next year, it just stayed the same. And so then... It started to move after that. And we were like, man, we made it. We made a turn and we were so excited. And so then it began the journey of, well, maybe it is time for the Lord to have us to start focusing on how we address the final thing that we think the Lord has asked us to do that will remove a tremendous obstacle that stands in our way to be a beacon of hope for our community. And so we started the progress. And the thing, man... It, we, we would get movement and we were like excited about it. And all of a sudden, man, it was, it was like more than we anticipated. And we're like, this, this is not what we were trying to do. And yet it was morbid. It felt so right. And so we're ready to scrap it, man. Like a year, a little over a year ago, we're coming before the body and we're saying, hey, like this thing costs more than we expected. And so we're just ready to scrap it. And so we don't know what to do. We ask you to pray, pray with us. And so we, we were thinking in our minds as a leadership that uh, to be responsible and good stewards is that, that, that we just needed to kind of pray together. And before I walked out of the church that day, there was um, $75,000 committed to the project. Within another 60 days, we had $329,000 committed to the project. And we're going, what just happened? 
We didn't even ask for it. When, when it first started, we didn't even ask for it. It just started happening. And so we led the body through something, and then we're like, oh, man, this is so exciting. And so we start the journey of moving from the concept to the actual drawings. And we get the drawings, and, 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 and we're so excited about what's happening. And then the, after the drawings are actually, con- the construction documents actually happened this last summer, the number was reported to us. And man, all of us were like, I, I'm, first I had to hear the news on my own. And I was like, oh. I was like, I can't believe this. And I was incredibly discouraged. I was actually angry. I was angry at a number. Like I was angry at how did we get here? How did, how did this happen? I didn't understand in my mind. And, and I began to work with the advisors and and Dan and Quentin started working with me, and we started trying to identify the numbers were moving here and there. They would be, like, we just couldn't get a hard number, and I th- I'm so thankful for their, le- their leadership in my life. As they come alongside me, and they, they encouraged me, and we worked together, and finally, um, we, we started getting closer to a number, and then it felt like, man... <laughs> Geez, how are we going to go before the body and to tell them this? This is, it, it really just honestly, okay, if it's frightening. Some, some of it in my flesh, I feel a little embarrassed about it. And this is kind of where we were. It's like we weren't trying to do this. It just happened. And then lo and behold, somebody comes to the church during this period where we're trying to navigate through it. And they commit another 60000 to the project. I'm like, what is going on? And it's kind of blowing us away. And so we, 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 we look at it and we go, man, I, I, so, so I've gone through all of these cycles. And through this message, what the Lord has showed me, because to really come at confidence with this as I'm coming today, the Lord had to take me through a journey. And this is what I want to say to you, is that there was a time when we had all the money that we needed. <laughs> we thought. And then it came to be, now we don't. And what I want to stand before you today and say is, I thank the Lord we don't have it. Because not by might, nor by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord, do things come to be. And so we believe the Lord has brought us to a place that's going to require us stepping out in faith. And, and as a leadership, that, that's what you're going to hear about today. And I, I won't get into that part of it today. But I want, to, I want you to know that, man, the Lord has us not only on these journeys individual, individually where we're bringing the golden oil to the planet. I believe that the Lord is, he has us on a, on a journey like that corporately as a body of Christ. And so we've got this thing that's going to be built out here. And it's this really cool cross and this feature that's going to change the look of the building. Here's what I want you to hear in all transparency. That's not going to help my walk with the Lord. I, I like I'm good, man. Like I, it's not going to shape my identity whatsoever. It doesn't that, that's not for me. Except for the fact that I feel like the Lord is leading us to step out in obedience and trust that He's going to use us to make a difference in the world. The last thing the world needs is another church who's teaching self-help sermons on a weekly basis, and that's not who we are. We teach the Word of God. We teach people how to get in the Word of God. And I believe that we're in a very influential place in America, in a very strategic spot, that God can use us as an influential place to to clear up a lot of the confusion that we're living in, the culture all around us. People need clarity, and they need to hear a voice that will teach them a word from the Lord, not a word from some book. All right? And so we walk in obedience, and some of it is scary, but it's also exciting. And so that's kind of where we're at, and I, I, I'm amazed by how the sermon sort of spoke to me. 
And, and, and what, I, what I want to encourage you to do is, man, see yourself for what you are. Like you, if you've been transformed by Christ, you're not the same. You're a golden conduit that carries the Holy Spirit from heaven to the planet. And you light up the world. And if you don't think the world needs that, man, like just watch the news. Nobody knows what to do. Like nobody knows what to do. It's because it will not be solved by might or power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.